Charles McPherson is known as Canada's butler, a world authority in household management and butlering. He is the founder of the Charles McPherson Associates Incorporated, North America's only registered school for butlers and household managers. He brings 30 years of experience in his field and is the resident butler for the Maryland Dennis Show. He's also an author with a number of books to his credit, including the new one, The Pocket Butler's Guide to Good Housekeeping, Expert advice on cleaning, laundry, and home maintenance now at fine bookstores everywhere. For such a little book, it's physically a small book. That is a very <laughs> long title. It's a very long title, and I always think to myself when, when the publisher and I when we're, we're going through, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, can we not just come up with a, you know, two words or something like that? But it's part of the Pocket Butler series. Yeah. Uh, so this is the third uh, in the Pocket Butler series, and so uh, that's, I think, why the name is so long. So we'll talk about the book in just a few minutes, but uh, I want to set this up a little bit and let sure. people get a chance to know you. So you say, I think I was a butler in another life. Mm-hmm. How is that? Because when, so I didn't go to a butler school. I have no formal training, but, you know, in Toronto, I, I went to George Brown College in the hotel management program. I was in the hotel business for a little while, catering and so on. But when I got my first butlering job uh, was by a very famous Canadian family that all Canadians know and love. And it was the lady of the house who taught me every week lessons in butling. And it just seemed so natural. Mm. It, it When she would explain things to me or whatever, I just thought, well, yeah, of course, that's so logical. And so I think to myself, maybe I was either a butler in a previous life or I was a nobleman who had a butler in a previous <laughs> life. Um, I'm not sure what, but it just... It just seems logical and natural. I don't feel like I'm learning something. I feel like I'm just being reminded of something. Right. Well, when did you know that a career in in butlering yeah. uh, was was for you? Because there's not. I would I would guess that there's not that many positions available. Well, there's shockingly more than you would think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as you know, as the wealthy are growing uh, in the world the number of butler positions are growing. And so butlers were almost extinct, you know, by, you know, the 70s, uh, 1970s. And then, you know, with Reaganomics and and, and huge, you know, growth in, in, in personal wealth starting in, in the 80s, the butlering profession came back with a vengeance because, you know, someone had to take care of all this stuff. So there's actually more jobs than you think. But, uh, sorry, back to your question, and that is, when did I know that it was, for me, is I think as soon as I... As soon as I saw that it was actually even a possibility and I was being interviewed for the job, I said, oh, my gosh, this is this is what I want to do. And it, it's it's complicated. There's a lot going on here. We'll talk about some of the uh, tips that you give in the book. But I love that you use essentially a ruler to set a table. <laughs> well, exactly. It's and called a butler's <laughs> pole, right? It's called a butler's stick. A butler's stick. A butler's stick. And so um, it's interesting because the butler's stick, you know, what you're doing is you're trying, you know, to, you know, uh, accuracy uh, equals symmetry, and symmetry is beautiful to the human eye. And so the butler, you know, just wants to be able to have you walk into that dining room and have you see that perfection, uh, I think, which is just a real sign of professionalism. The way, you know, a lawyer might want to have the I's dotted and the T's crossed, you right. know, in their in their briefings. You know, the butler wants to have the dining room table perfect. That, dining, that, that fork that's one inch from the edge of the table all the way around. Exactly. And, and so that, I think, is... You know, I guess maybe I'm a bit of a nerd, but I find that very beautiful. What's the most important trait that you have to have to be a butler? Mm, that's really great. There's a lot of traits, actually, but I think the most important thing, I'm, I'm, I'm waffling between discretion 
and um, just being able to put people at ease. And I'm not sure which I think is more important because I think both are really important. Well, you mentioned discretion. I have read a great deal about you in the last couple of days as we were getting ready. You can see the notes that I've made. There's <laughs> pages of them. <laughs> don't, don't be afraid. But uh, you never mentioned the family that, that gave you your first job as a mm-hmm. butler. And when people try and press you for it, you're like, nope, that's, yeah. that's not what a butler does. So, because this is the problem. If I was to share with you uh, and, and all your listeners who I worked for, then the immediate question is you want to start to know about them. Right. Oh, well, what was their house like? Right. You know, were they nice? Were they mean? Uh, you know, and so the problem is when you are a butler, you're in someone's personal space. And as I say, you know, we're touching your underwear, which is obviously <laughs> a very personal thing. <laughs> so, you know, the, the problem is we see you at your best. We see you at your worst. Mm-hmm. And I think that... You know, if you if you make an agreement that you say, listen, I'm going to come and work in your house. I'm going to help you with your life. I'm going to bottle for you. But I I promise to be discreet about what I see. I think you kind of have a, a, a code that you kind of need to agree to that. And because you see everything. Mm-hmm. Is there ever a point at which a line can be crossed because you do see everything? You know where all the secrets are and what they are. Is there a line that is crossed that you have a comfort level with the person or they have a comfort level with you that they confide things in you that go beyond the employer-employee relationship? And how do you deal with that? So, well, that's what we call the magic line. And, you know, the problem is we as butlers can't cross the magic line, but the employer is always crossing the magic line uh, and trying to pull you over. And so... You know, what we teach in Butler School is, you know, when your employer asks you on Monday morning, how was your weekend, there is only one answer, which is, it was fine, thank you for asking, how was yours? Right. Because nine out of ten times they actually want to talk about their weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't care how you, they don't really care how your weekend no, was. No, <laughs> no. But um, I think that it's, you know, when, for example, yourself, as you're sitting here in the studio, this is your workplace. You know how to conduct yourself because you're in a work environment right now. But when my work environment is actually your home, I think it becomes confusing. Am I Richard's friend and I'm just kind of helping out with a couple of things or is this actually my place of of employment? And that's where it gets confusing and that's where butlers and employers get confused sometimes and get themselves into trouble. What's the most challenging part then of this job? Is it the discretion? Is it the physical part of it? Just making sure that that table sparkles at all times. I think that's a that's really interesting because I don't find I don't find the job discretion difficult. That to me is either you're discreet or you're not. Mm-hmm. So that that to me is actually really easy. Um, for me, it's about always I think trying to in a perfect world stay one or two steps ahead, and so that you know you've been with the family so long you start to know what they want before they want them. Right. Kind of scenario is that's when you're really good. And I remember when I started my job. My employer, she said to me, you know, it's going to take you a year before you start to learn my family. And I thought to myself, a year? I'll have this down in three months. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so right. It took a year because you have to go through the life cycle of the family for a year to know, okay, so what do they do at Christmas time? What do they do at Easter? Birthdays. What do they do on summer holidays and birthdays? And it's only once you've gone through that cycle that you actually start to understand what you can do or what you need to do. Uh, or what you can anticipate 
And so I thought that was really interesting to learn that. So the yeah. hardest thing I think is is just trying to always be ahead of them because the problem is they never do exactly the same thing. That's right. <laughs> well, I would think that it's kind of like when you see a swan. Being a butler is like watching a swan float down a river. It's perfectly calm and serene on top, but under the water, those legs are paddling away like I mad. feel like you're a graduate from my school. because <laughs> <laughs> I can come speak uh, there if you like. <laughs> That's what I actually say on the very last day is I talk about the swan and about, you know, the movement under the water and how everything has to be calm on the top. And that a good butler actually... You never know that the souffle is burning in the kitchen right. and, you know, that you know, the fire department's on their way. And, oh, yes, the cocktail party's still going. Nothing to worry about. Lots of stressful situations yeah. probably arise you know, all the time. And I would think that you have to deal with them uh, with a sense of urgency, which is very important, I think, in any kind of service industry. Uh, but also a sense of calm as well. So you have to always, you know be calm because the, when you're calm it, it keeps everyone else calm as soon mm -hmm. as you start to have some nervous energy then everyone else has the same problem so you need to stay calm absolutely but i think that um yeah it's it's that calmness that that is actually hard because there is so much coming at you and it's changing and are you able to teach that are you uh, is there a certain personality type that is more suited to this because I know I ran bars and restaurants for a long time. I worked yes. as a bartender. I worked in the, and then I ran them. And I found that you can teach someone how to make a drink, but you can't teach them a sense of urgency if they don't already have that. You can't teach them how to be friendly if they are not already friendly. And those were the, the, the for me, sort of the cornerstones the of the job. Anyone can make a rum and coke. So, so I, I agree with you 100%. And I have always gone by the philosophy of, of Izzy Sharp, the founder of Four Seasons, which is, you know, hire for attitude, train for skill. Right. If they've got the right attitude, like they know how to be friendly and they're genuine, I can teach you how to make a rum and coke, yep. exactly like you said. But if you don't have the right attitude, I can't change your attitude. So what makes a good butler uh, and uh, that can be trained is someone who has the right attitude. And so we call it a service heart, someone who wants to be of service. And I say that because... Service should not be confused with being subservient. Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me, they're two different things. And I think being of service is just professional. I agree. And that's, uh, for me, I think that there was, when I was doing it, a very thick, bold line yes. between the two. Uh, and, and, and I think that a lot of people looking in from the outside don't really understand the difference between service and, and subservience. Exactly. What are some of the common mistakes that butlers make? I would imagine that getting too close to the family is one of them. Big mistake. So, so getting too close to the family is a big mistake. Um, some butlers, unfortunately, big mistake is they just they have loose lips. Hmm. And, you know, it's easy just to, to slip. You know, I remember, you know, some 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 things what I've heard what butlers have said I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh I can't believe you're sharing that that's and they think well I can trust you you know you're a butler too I was like well yeah but you shouldn't be you just don't don't put and me if, in that position and if you're telling me who else are you telling exactly but you know there's also things like protocol and you know so it sounds you know so here's my question for you let's see you know is you know 
Forks, we all think, technically go on the left. Mm -hmm. Knives and spoons go on the right. But there actually is a fork that goes on the right. So kind of knowing all those kinds of etiquette things, too. Is it like an oyster fork or something like that? Oh, my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a new butler here. (laughs) (laughs) If ever radio doesn't work out for you... You have a butlery <laughs> career ahead of you. Either that or you happen to eat in great restaurants. <laughs> That's right. The, the old oyster oysters. fork. You don't see them that often these You days. don't see them that often, no. Uh, but you are correct. I'm actually <laughs> impressed. Good on you. So protocol. But protocol is important. And I, it, it, it is interesting because I think that we have... Uh, fallen into a more casual way of life often we have I, I don't know that manners matter as much or sometimes we think I think social media has eroded what yes. our idea of manners are yes uh, and and that protocol maybe sometimes feels a little stuffy and old-fashioned to people I agree 100% but I think that that as the world is changing Etiquette has to change. And, I, you know, at first I didn't really quite understand that. But what I think is interesting about that is if you think about etiquette, for example, you know, in the 1800s with Queen Victoria compared to what it is today, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. So etiquette has to be, as I say, this living, breathing document. It has to change with society. I have no problem with that. But I actually still think we have more etiquette and protocols than we're acknowledging. They're just different. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that it's still actually an important part of our social fabric web and network and how we communicate with each other. It's just, it's, I think it's changing so much. I think we're not comfortable with where we are and where we're going because we don't know really where we're going. And and it's so different. Uh, I think it's hard, but I think it's, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't cell phones, like literally the way that we have them now. And so just the way we communicate has changed. And so we need to kind of adapt. Cell phone etiquette is a great question to yes. ask you about. So you go to a dinner party at someone's home and people take out their phones and they put them on the mm. setting next to the oyster fork. <laughs> <laughs> and and every now and again, you'll see when the car, when they're not directly involved in a conversation or something, check their emails yeah. check the, or post it, take a picture of their meal. Uh, what is the butler's opinion on that? So I think personally that, you know, if I'm going to go have dinner with you, Richard, I don't think my cell phone should be out. I think it's about you and me having a conversation, hopefully having a good lunch or dinner, whatever it is. But I think that, you know, for example, if you're if if you and I were going on a business lunch, I can see the cell phone being on the table. It's Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. you know, between 12 and 1 o'clock. Things are going on. So I can see that and I can see saying to you, you know, what? I need to leave my cell phone out. But if you and I are going out for a social meal, I don't think the cell phone should be there. And I think... Personally, I've always said that if the phone has to be there, it's because you've got some kid at home who's really sick or some emergency. And then I would say, you know, Richard, I'm really sorry. I've got someone at home who's sick that, you know, my kid, whatever. Uh, And so in case the babysitter needs to reach out to me, I'm going to leave my phone on the table. But otherwise, I actually get a little bit offended when people start looking at their phone when we're out socially. Well, it would be... The idea, or it sends a message, I guess, that this isn't the thing that I'm doing right here it's isn't boring. as important to exactly. me, or this it's a little more sort of on the boring side. I think it as boring, and so I kind of, or that they don't want to be there, mm-hmm. and so I think, well, if you don't want to be here, then why are you here? But um, I, but I have said, you know, that said, I am also going to be honest, uh, just with you, since no one else is here right no now. No one else is here. Just um, us. That uh, I have 
done that, that that thing of looking at the cell phone because it's addictive. It, it, it is, and it and it has become part of the fabric of so many people's lives. Uh, it is a difficult thing to untether yourself from yes. sometimes. I'm guilty of it too, I think. Uh, and, but I wonder in 10 years from now, will we have had enough? Will there be a revolution where we just say, you know, enough of this cell phone use. I'm not going to be tethered to this. Or will we just have it on our glasses and we're just constantly staring at data as it, as it, as it uh, flies past the screen. How does the role of a modern day butler differ from what we would see on Downton Abbey? Certainly that is when I think of a butler, uh, that's what pops into we my think head. think of Mr. Carson, absolutely. Mr. Carson. So I think that, you know, as we were just saying before the break, formalities of the world have changed. They've become less formal. Uh, and so I think that it's changed from the perspective that our world is less formal and so we do things less formally, mm-hmm. uh, if, if I may. But I think the role has also changed that we also have different tools from you know the cell phone, the computer, so on to help us. But what I actually think is that it hasn't changed. Even though there are certain tools that have changed and we've relaxed etiquette a little bit, the job is still the same. You're still, you know, I, I say that a good butler has three things, you know, to make sure the toilet is washed, the bed is made, and dinner is served on time. And we still have to do those three things. Yep. It doesn't change. Maybe how we do them has changed, but it actually hasn't changed. So I think in a strange way, I sometimes feel that our job actually hasn't Jane hasn't evolved. You're not wearing a, a waistcoat and, and that sort of thing, probably not. Maybe on a formal nights when the queen's coming over, exactly. but, uh, but beyond that, probably not. No, no, exactly. No, you know, and, you know, when you think of it, when you think of Downton Abbey and, you know, they were in white tie for dinner every night. I mean, can you imagine? I can't, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of my bowl of pasta that I had last night in front of the television. That's right, <laughs> you know, yeah. That was so far different from what, you know, the world, you know, was back then. But I think that that's the success of a butler is sometimes butlers come to butler school and they want to be Mr. Carson. And although that's really great, mm-hmm. we don't live in that world. We need to evolve. And I remember one butler saying, I'm going to buy myself a bowler's hat. And I said, what are you going to buy a bowler's hat for? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what butlers wear. I said, yeah, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and so he kind of was, oh, okay. You know. <laughs> is it still a male-dominated profession? What's fascinating is that no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, women are definitely in this profession. And uh, in the hotel industry where that have butlers, it's about 50-50. Mm-hmm. And women are actually starting to take over uh, in, in the hotel, on the hotel side. Uh, in households, it's probably about 20, 25% women, uh, and there's more women butlers in the United States than any other country uh, in the world. Uh, and hotel butlers, now I've never had one, but that's when you are moving into a suite for a month or so, or more probably. You can have it also for three days. Or you know, you, three. you can go, for example, to Sandals Resort in the Caribbean, where they have butlers, you know, for your room. Uh, so it doesn't have to be for a month. And you get looked after on your vacation. If you're in a good hotel, and that's the whole thing, is you know we do butler training in hotels, and and the biggest thing is that most people who go to a hotel with a butler don't necessarily have a butler in their daily life, and so the butler actually has to teach you what they can do for you, because otherwise, if you've never had a butler and you're you know you're at this hotel for a week, you know on vacation or whatever. You're almost intimidated and uncomfortable. Like, well, what am I supposed to do? Do I have to tip him every time I see him? And, right. you know, is he going to, you know, want to dress me or pick my clothes? And, and so it becomes very confusing. And, and, and people are intimidated and they actually then push the butler away. And so a good butler in a hotel actually will teach you without knowing 
without you knowing that you're being taught what they can do for you. Well, you have a quote in one of your books that sort of relates to that because it, it, the idea of it, of having a butler in a hotel is fairly luxurious. Yes. It's, it's, it feels uh, extreme in some ways. Uh, but a line from one of your books, luxury can be had by anyone because it's about giving someone the gift of feeling welcomed, cherished, and looked after. So it is not just that you're wearing the finest clothes and, and your butler is looking after all that stuff. It's it's about how it makes the person feel. What's interesting, and this is, this is one time a name that I can share, who taught me that was Oscar de la Renta. I was going to ask you about this story because this is fantastic. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> so he taught me what is luxury. Yeah. And he taught me that, you know, luxury has nothing to do with the value of something, but it's how you make someone feel. And the first time he described it to me, he said, you know, when I, you know, make a dress, it could be a dress that's $200 or it could be a $100,000 couturier dress, but it's how the woman feels when she puts that dress on that is luxury. And we then kind of continued the conversation and continued of just how I can deliver luxury and how, how lu what luxury ultimately is. And that really changed my life. Well, uh, he has the story about ordering a cup of coffee. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, and th this is the story that I love. Okay, so he, so Oscar de la Renta, he um, goes for a walk every morning, and so when he's in Paris, you know, his walk finishes, and he's at the Place Vendôme where there's the famous Ritz Hotel, and so he goes up and he orders a cup of coffee, and it's a very formal dining room, you know, white tablecloth, fresh flowers, gold chairs, there's someone, you know, playing the piano in the background, and... Uh, you know, it's it's a very formal, but but the waiter is is pretty indifferent to mm -hmm. him. When he's in the Dominican Republic and he goes for his walk, he ends up on the beach, and you know, there's this hut with some corrugated metal, some string. Looks like it's going to blow down if the wind is too strong. And you know, he gets there, and you know, someone from around the counter goes, "Good morning, Mr. De Laurenta." And he goes, "Hi, Mabel." And uh, so Mabel then asks him how his day is, and shall I make your coffee for you? And you know, she asked him about his grandchildren that are coming for the March break uh, coming up. And they have a great little conversation. Then she just leaves him alone and, and, you know, makes her little sandwiches and stuff for lunch. And she gets him a cup of coffee. And what's fascinating is that the cup, the cup and the saucer don't match. The spoon's a little bit crooked. And he hands it to her versus, um, you know, when he's at the Ritz. And what he said to me, and, what he, and this was part of that whole learning experience, was that his favorite cup of coffee is with Mabel on the beach. Yeah. Because Mabel has the ability to connect with him. And she doesn't they don't do that it had nothing to do with how expensive the cup of coffee was at the ritz hotel it had everything to do with how the person connected with him it is interesting my wife and i were in paris a couple of years ago we went to the ritz and we went <laughs> for your to, coffee in the morning yes, after no, your walk well, well, uh, <laughs> but we went for a cocktail at night Ooh, and and at, at the bar at, is it harry's bar at the back uh, there's harry's bar at the back and there's uh hemingway's bar as well oh so there that's as what well. i was thinking of hemingway's yeah. yeah so harry's bar is the home of the bloody mary that place is worth ah, it i will okay. tell you that okay. place is worth it uh, but uh, Hemingway's Bar, and we went, and it's beautiful, as you can imagine. Yes. In, the, in the restrooms, the, the, the taps are, are little swans, and the water comes out of the <laughs> mouth. They're gold, and it's, it's, it's lovely. It just drips. It just drips <laughs> with elegance. And my wife remembers how beautiful her cocktail was. She gets a drink. It's got a fully bloomed white rose floating in it. And, and I remember how bad the service was. Ah. And, and I did not feel, uh, although it was opulent and expensive and it was a big treat for us, uh, I don't remember it all that fondly simply because 
uh, it, despite the beauty, it wasn't presented to us well. So now let me ask you, uh, do you think that you noticed the service because the service was just bad? Or do you think you noticed the service because you come from that industry and you kind of you're attuned to it? Oh, there's absolutely that. Yeah. Uh, because I understand how how service works in a in the bar and restaurant yes. uh, industry. And I do get annoyed if it's not very good because <laughs> I know I you know I wasn't always perfect but I was pretty good at it and and I liked it and I think it showed when I was doing it and I felt or I always feel whether it's the Ritz or whether it's my corner diner yes. if you're getting indifferent service uh, it's not good enough. Well, you just made a key point and that again goes back to Oscar Dorenta and, and and Mabel on the beach and everything is that. Having great service can happen at the local diner yep. as well as it can at the Ritz Hotel, and that one has nothing to do with the other. You can still give great service and have someone feel really uh, well taken care of and special. And that's the secret of a butler, and I think is is about being able to not be a snob. I think there's nothing worse than a snobbish butler. Um, <laughs> and making every guest who comes to the house feel special and welcomed uh, and, and and attention to the detail, that to me is great service. And so, you know, you don't have to be, you know, you can be in a burger joint, like we said, mm -hmm. diner, and, and you can still have great service. We were talking about fitted sheets. Yes. And during the commercial, you just gave me some great <laughs> advice. I don't know how to fold them. They always end up in, they look, when I put them away, kind of, a, a mix between something that a child tried to fold <laughs> and something it, it, I, I don't know even what it is. It, it, they they just look like they've been crumpled and thrown in the a closet. bald net That's right. of some kind. That's Absolutely. Right. And so I said, I said, well, the best thing is just have one set of sheets. So when you wash them, you put them right back on the bed, I, so see, you never have to fold them. This is su <laughs> such simple and effective advice. But you know what I learned actually from Four Seasons Hotels is that you actually need to when you wash sheets, let them rest for 24 hours after they've watched because the fibers need to actually rest. And if you had, for the sake of the argument, only one pair of sheets, yeah. you actually will wear through them faster than if you had two sets, for example, because they actually need to rest uh, because of the fibers. Otherwise, it weakens them. I had no idea. Yeah. So, but now, okay, trick question. How many sets of sheets should you have? Uh, I would say that seasonally they would change. Ooh, I would say that very fancy well, in your household. Well, you know, seasonally it, 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 in the winter, yeah. you would probably maybe have a flannel component to the sheets. Uh, I love flannel, and yeah. flannel is considered not very good. Ironically, really, it's considered not. I don't want to say low class, but it's considered low end of sheets. Right. Uh, because I wanted to do something like that once uh, for a line for somebody, and the manufacturers, oh no, that's very low market. And yet I love flannel. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing better than on a cold on night. On a cold to, yeah. night, getting into your flannel sheet? Absolutely. And does an electric blanket count as sheets? No, <laughs> no. I don't know. <laughs> so no, so, the, so the, the, the key is you're supposed to have three sets. Yeah. You have one on the bed, you have one that's dirty, and you have one clean one so that if you haven't gotten the other one cleaned yet and right. you spill your coffee in the morning, you've got a set of sheets that you can right. you know change or as, you know... My nephews, when they were younger, they're six and nine, but when they were younger and they crawl into bed and, you know, little kids have accidents. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So the advice in this book is probably, a lot of it is just as simple as that. Absolutely. And I think what I wanted, when I, in any book that I've ever written, but also in housekeeping is, I just wanted to be Charles the Butler, your friend, mm. 
sharing with you the tips and tricks that I've learned over the years versus this kind of, I don't want to say accusatory, but kind of like this school teacher scolding, right. you know, way of this is what you have to do. I actually don't believe in that. I think that there's something different for everybody mm -hmm. on how to do it. I just want to share with you the easiest things um, and uh, of or the easiest ways to do things. I think that I've learned having done many, uh, done it many times and worked with many great housekeepers around the world. How do we get red wine stains off uh, a carpet or off a shirt? Well, the, the first thing in a, in a perfect world is you actually want to get at it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. The biggest mistake is, is to let it sit. Uh, but um, you can use cold water. So soaking in cold water is excellent. Uh, number one. Number two, using something like salt actually draws out the stain. I, so I've done this myself. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. Unsurprisingly, I have spilled some red wine on myself from time to time, <laughs> and salt imagine. does work. <laughs> what a waste of red wine. But, but also, I think the other thing is, you know, remember that when you actually wash something, if it comes out of the washing machine and the stain is still there, you still have an opportunity to get the stain out. As soon as you put that item in the dryer, you have now married the stain in that garment for life. Yeah, you've baked it's it in. Baked it in, it's never coming out. So um, the most important thing is to treat the stain first and to wash it and, and as soon as possible. And when it comes out of the washing machine, to have a look at it. And the problem with stains, though, you know, is that there's four different kinds of stains, you know, between protein and tannins and, and so on. And so... You have to know a little bit of chemistry. And so that's what, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that based on the stain chart, here's a couple of ways to get those kinds of stains out. Uh, what do you think is probably the most uh, interesting advice? Something that people really wouldn't know. The salt on the red wine is a good one, but I think people know it. I think a uh, lot of people, people know yeah. that. I think for me, it was about kind of. People try, you know, people look at their house and they have, or their apartments, they have daily lives, they're busy. And it's, you know, how do I keep all this going? You know, I don't want to give up my Sunday every weekend to, to cleaning my house. There's yeah. more things I want to do to life. And so I think for me, hopefully, what the biggest thing in the book and the takeaway is just do what, first of all, do things regularly because the more often you clean something, the less you have to clean. Right. So number one, but number two, just do one thing. So what I mean by that, don't try to do one room because if you say, I'm just gonna do the living room this week, you have to pull out the vacuum cleaner, you have to pull out all your cleaning supplies, you have to pull everything out and you get to one room and it's like, oh my God, this is a lot of work for one room. Just do one thing. So if we're gonna vacuum, just vacuum the apartment today. Right. Nothing else. So you vacuum, just have to pull out one tool, place. just vacuum the whole place and you feel good that you vacuumed the place. If we're gonna dust, just dust the house kind of scenario. And so for me, I think it's about just do one task at a time, but just do it everywhere. And you're actually getting through the space really well. And I find it a lot easier. Yeah, it seems counterintuitive, maybe. It does, because yeah. you think of trying to do one room perfectly, but don't. Just do one task at a time. You know, if you're going to, you know, clean a closet, then just do the closets kind of thing. Or if you're going to whatever. That's, that, that's I think, one of the things that I love about this book. And just trying to demystify things. As a butler, you are in charge of the household staff. Yes. Is there, so the, the cooks and whatever, every everyone uh, that would be there. Uh, how? Uh, so you have to know really a little bit about everything. You know what? If you don't know how to clean something and you have a housekeeper working for you, she will sniff you out really <laughs> fast. And then she, the problem is then she loses respect for you. Right. So you have to know how to do it as well or better, whether it's the, you know, the chef in the kitchen or it's the chauffeur or it's the housekeeper or the laundress or the gardener, you need to know that subject matter. 
And this is why you have a school. Exactly. And you have uh, a school, and it's called? The Charles McPherson Academy for Butlers and Household Managers. Yes. You like long titles. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you are, th- you've had this for a number of years now. How many people a year do you think you, you, uh, you train? We do, on average, anywhere between 25, 30 uh, per year. And what's fascinating is that we're the only registered school uh, in North America, That's right. which is really great. We're really proud of that. And we're starting to shift our focus now from just training people who want to be butlers to now doing professional development for butlers already in the industry. Mm. Because we're finding that a lot of people get into this business by accident, exactly like myself. I was in the off-premise catering business. I catered for this, this particular family. And when they needed a butler uh, and Mrs. knew I was thinking of maybe changing, you know, my, my business, she said, why don't you come and work for me? And I said, work for you? What do I, you know, what yeah. do I know? And what I think is fabulous is that, you know, when I first called my mother and I said, oh, my God, I've been offered this job for this family to be the butler. My mother said, absolutely not. I don't want you to be a servant. So I said, well, let me think about it. She said, there's you the think line, about though, it, between, but don't do it. Yeah, there's the line between servant, service, yes. and subservience. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, like the good boy that I am, I didn't listen to my mother and I took the job. And then seven years later when I was ready to move on, I called my mother and I said, you're going to be really happy. I'm going to quit my job. And she said, don't quit the job. It's the best job you've ever had. (laughs) Seven years is a long time. It's a long time. And, you know, I saw the kids. uh, But what's fascinating is that, you know, usually when you leave a job, that's the end of your relationship with the family, so to speak. I've actually remained friends with this family or become friends with this family. And so I've been to the weddings. I've been there for the birth of the children. Oh, wow. uh, we now staff the homes of the children, uh, you know, whether it's nannies or cooks or housekeepers or drivers. So it, we have a relationship that's continued, and I'm very proud of that. Do you have a personal bugaboo, something that uh, etiquette-wise happens that just makes your skin crawl? There's probably a list of them if, <laughs> <laughs> if I really think about it. I think for me, the the one thing that I can't stand is when someone gives you a present and you don't thank them properly. And a text saying, hey, thanks, I love the sweater, is not a thank you note. Mm-hmm. But a thank you note doesn't have to be written uh, on, a, on a stationary or anything, although in the mail is truly the most yeah. wonderful. But it can just be an email. But you, because that's a, f- a great form of communication, but you still have to be able to, to write it properly. And I think, you know, someone has spent time and money and effort to buy you something. I think you need to know how to thank them. And that drives me nuts. Well, it has to be genuine. An oh, email absolutely. is fine as long as, hey, man, thanks for the, thanks for the present isn't exactly. enough. Exactly. That yeah. is not enough. So, you know, Richard, love the book. But then you, why do you love the book? And just be grateful. My wife uh, is old school. She sends thank you notes when we go out I for dinner presents. Wife. Yeah, I know she's amazing, <laughs> and and but she does it, and it's something that that I think really uh, touches people. I think it's it important because you don't get a lot of mail these days no. anyway, and certainly it makes an impression. I started with my nephews sending them postcards wherever I'm around the world mm-hmm. and sending them mail and stuff like that. And when I'm not traveling, they say, well, hey, Uncle Charles, how come we don't have anything in the mailbox, you know, for this week? I'm like, oh, my God, I've created, you know, two little <laughs> monsters here. But but people are shocked when they get something in the mail. And yeah. so when you actually, you know, as your wife does, when she sends something in the mail, people are probably touched by it. And then they realize the sincerity behind it. 
We just have about a minute left. Mm. I am a movie guy, so I have to ask. Ah, okay. So when you watch programs like Downton yes. Abbey or movies like The Butler, do you enjoy them? I, if they're good, <laughs> I, I, I do. And so, um, you know, my favorite, you know, movie is with Emma Thompson. And, um, of course, um, I, I can't believe I'm going to draw a blank now. Anthony Hopkins? Yes. Yes. Uh, I love Remains that of movie. the day. Remains of the day. Thank you. It's it's so well done. You know, by Ivory uh, Films, yes. uh, Ivory Merchant Films. What I love about that movie is that is that how accurate it is. Because most often it's not accurate. Mm-hmm. But in that particular movie, I can just sit there and watch it over and over again, which I guess makes me sound like a nerd. But <laughs> I it's, love it. It's a beautiful movie. I think so. Charles, thank you so much. Thank you very much. What a pleasure to speak to you. My I guest good time. in the studio is Charles McPherson. His book is called The Pocket Butler's Guide to Good. Housekeeping expert advice on cleaning, laundry, and home maintenance. It is available wherever you buy fine books. You can, of course, also watch Charles on the Marilyn Dennis Show. Learn how to fold a fitted sheet. All the <laughs> all the little bits of advice that uh, that you need to know to keep your house running smoothly. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, my thanks to Robert Turner on the board, and we'll talk to you again next week.